0: No place I'd rather be to sing it once again with all of our hearts now falling in love with Jesus. Praise God. Well, we greet you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to fall in love with the Lord Jesus. My first husband, I really didn't have a chance to fall in love with him because by natural birth, my mom and daddy engaged me to that natural man. But about 2,000 years ago, as we'll be celebrating it this this weekend, the day that'll be set aside for Easter. My husband came to the earth in order to pay the full price of redemption, that we would be able to be married back to the true and original word. And we're so happy for that tonight. Uh, Speaking of that, I know this is going to be a different Easter for all of us. Carol and I was talking about it, and she said, before I came to church tonight, she said, I think this will be the very first Easter since I've been a Christian that I've not been able to be in church. And I'm sure probably for a lot of you it's, it's that way. But we just do the best that we can and believe that God will help us. And Brother Darrell be speaking for us on Sunday morning. So I want to pray for him that the Lord will just give him what will benefit us and bless us. We certainly appreciate him. I'd like to read to you tonight, if you'd like to turn with me, from Ezekiel chapter 28. And we've read this before, but we'd like to read it again. And I want to speak to you again tonight on Satan being the opposite of kenosis. If the Lord will help us, <clears throat> we can... Be benefited by our gathering together, those of you that are doing so by the means of the internet and streaming tonight. Uh, Exodus chapter 28 verse 12. And I want you to listen carefully to these, to these verses and see what he was in the form of Lucifer and then what he becomes in the form of Satan. Son of man, take up the lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God. Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now we know that he was the most beautiful angel that God had made. And this beauty is not sinful. This beauty is not deceitful. This beauty, original beauty, was not wrong. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou wast walked up and down in the midst of of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. And remember, God did not make it there, but Satan had a soul and Satan had an ability to choose. And that's where sin began whenever he said, I will. Verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now notice what happens whenever perfect beauty, perfect in your ways, uh, absolute creation of God, but watch what happens once it gets inside of a soul that has become twisted or perverted. Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Now notice God never made him that way, but this happened within the perverter himself. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Nothing wrong with the beauty, nothing wrong. With the brightness. But beauty in the wrong heart, in the wrong soul, can become nothing but a bait trap for the devil. Wisdom in the wrong heart, in the wrong mind, in the wrong soul adds to what? Arrogance, being puffed up, know it all attitude. Take the same deployment or measure of wisdom, put in a humble heart, it's miraculous what God can do with it. It's the same in a daughter of God that's beautiful, men that would be handsome. Put that in a heart filled with the Holy Ghost. They do not use that as a trap, but it is a sign of true humility that they can have that and be able to submit it in the hands of God. Thine heart, notice the combination, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. So put beauty, perfect beauty, And the wrong heart, look what it does. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Let's bow our heads together and ask God's blessings on the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for this opportunity again that we're able to be here. We thank you for the brothers, Lord, that are coming and making this possible. Those musicians and song leader, but all those, also those that are unseen in the internet, the audio and the, the video part, Father, we thank you for them. The deacon brother being here. We thank you for the special singers that have been willing to come and sing, and then after they sing, Lord, they go home, and I know it's hard for them to do that, but we're trying to comply to what our law enforcement has set for us, and Father, I pray that you would help us, and we ask you that you would just be able to take our effort, Lord Jesus, and make it be a blessing to the hearts of your people. We believe, Father, you're going to see us through this time. No doubt there's more things going on than what we understand. I'm sure, Father, that there's great things that are happening. And we believe after we come through this, Lord, we're going to be better on the other side. We're not sure about our nation. We're not sure about our economy. We're not sure about our world. But we are sure about you. I pray that you speak to us tonight, Father, from your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. God bless you, brothers. You may be seated. God bless you, saints, in your homes, wherever you are tonight. May the Lord be with you. I realize that these are certainly troublesome times, and it's, uh, it's shaking time for the world. Uh, I read just this week where there's uh, been a great uh, sale in Bibles online, and uh, many people supposedly given their hearts to God during this time. I, I, pray that, I pray that many of them will last. I really hope that they will. But I'm so glad I don't have to wait for a time like this to get close to God. Now, I do want to get closer, no doubt about it, but I'm so glad I don't have to pray through and make this right and that right and that right, but we want to live the kind of life where we can be ready to meet the Lord Jesus every hour of our life. Now, let us look tonight and contrast this just a little bit. Uh, Most of the time we think that God is against all beauty. But in reality, God is not against all beauty. God is against beauty that is taken and used wrong. Now, what we want to look at is in the very heart of a perverted being, anything that flows through the heart of that perverted being can be potentially twisted around, and he will mix it from the tree of knowledge of of good and evil. Now watch this in Exodus chapter 28 verse 2 And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. Now here God goes into great detail as what the Levitical priesthood would wear and especially the high priest Now they don't just go in there with the work clothes on and just rags on and you know smelling bad and all sweaty but they were declared to be a representation not only of the priests but also of the people and also emerging together in that office of God as well as the sacrifice we know actually today is the time of the Passover in the land of Israel and they're going to be able to celebrate it the cedar they call it and they're gathered together and they're going to be able to meet in their houses and all of that but we know that the true Paschal Lamb is the Lord Jesus but every one of these types was leading up to him so God did not find it offensive that actually Aaron's garments were beautiful so they were not made just to be thrown together and well just whatever y'all want to wear just, just have whatever y'all think is good with me I'm fine with it no that's not the way God was so God didn't say well I'll tell you what just take a grass sack and just if you can get an old weed out there or something just sew a weed on the side but God said I want you to make them garments out of blue I want it to be purple I want it to be a ribband of blue on the bottom I want it to be sewn with golden thread I want them garments to be absolutely beautiful now beauty itself is not wrong as long as beauty is channeled through the right heart and the right motive and right objective. Now here God says, thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory, notice the twofold, for glory and for beauty. Now it must have been quite a sight if we would have been able to see the high priest as he would have had the most immaculate garments that would have been able to found in the children of Israel. It was made of a very expensive type of blue and very expensive purple. The very plain garments would have been white, but because it was taken from a little tiny worm and it would take out of this, uh, out of the Celius crocus, which was the eggs that was laid in this worm and it took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those little worms and they would squeeze maybe one tiny little drop and then they would take a mollusk, a seashell, and they would would take that mollusk and out of there they would get the purple so this is why the garments were so expensive but God said I want blue I want purple I want gold I want him all dressed up I want the the miter I want all of this and God said I want it for beauty now Satan in the original being Lucifer he had beauty as well he had beauty he had splendor he had brightness he had glory he had a personification and a persona about him which is still us that must have been really something in that angelic realm no doubt other angels would get around him and they would feel that persona about him as he would put it off almost a divine aura that would have come from his being and he was very beautiful and his position was one that was very high up but yet you take that kind of position and run it through a contemptible perverted heart and what does it turn into pride, arrogant, stuffed up, know-it-all smart aleck as we would say it. But then you can take someone else and maybe maybe they have fine things in life and nice things in life and maybe as I said it would be a beautiful woman or a handsome man or they might even be blessed in life where God chooses to bless them to be honest with you. I'm glad that we have some people around the message that have a little bit of means because if everybody around the message was poor and they only paid their bills then who would pay for getting this message around the world if all the message churches barely paid their bills and they barely got through and they barely struggled tell me who would be the ones that would help build all the churches around the world if if somebody didn't have a little money around it well I say praise the Lord to that if that was so if all the churches around the world barely barely made it by how would the message be able to get translated in different languages how would it be put into the computer format and so on and so on because God has to have some people that he can trust with means. I hope somebody's saying amen out there now notice again in 1st Chronicles chapter 16 verse 29 give to the Lord the glory due unto his name bring an offering and come before him worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness now notice then so if all beauty was contrary and all beauty was carnal which some people think it is then how could God ever want us to worship him in the beauty of holiness so there is a holiness that is absolutely beautiful before God. Notice again Psalms 45.10. Here David runs the parallel actually of what his son's going to write some years later in the Song of Solomon. And this is of course speaking of the bride. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline that ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Now watch this, this. is the bridegroom calling the bride into a place of separation. And then now he speaks on behalf of the king and he says so shall the king greatly desire thy beauty so here david in the person of the lord jesus with a prophetic utterance is telling the bride to come away from her family to leave her family leave her house leave her church leave all of that and this will endow her with a divine beauty that the great king the eternal himself will look at this and attribute this as being part of her beauty and he said so shall the king Greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. So, again, all beauty is not evil and wicked and sinful. Again, Psalms 50 and verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Psalms 90 and 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now I just want to tell you right now, the place that you and I are fixing to go to, it is not going to be no dump. You ain't never seen nothing like it in your life. Beauty, I'm not sure beauty, as far as what we even oak can even describe. I mean, you're talking about the asphalt in that city is pure gold. And walls of jasper and all types of precious stone. it ain't going to be no dump going to be no cabin down on one of them hills down in Pigeon Forge somewhere it is going to be something that is the most beautiful thing that you have ever seen in your life but yet it will not ever be one ounce of pride or arrogance now whenever you get that you take beauty power and position and you run that very thing through a perverted heart then what you get is a version of what God meant for it to be now this is something that I'm, I'm not sure the a lot of people understand about the devil is that Satan himself is sin. Satan is sin. My Lord, even the brothers in the church weren't quiet on me. Now, all right, let me prove it to you. Satan's Eden, what's this? Brother Ben said God's Eden was established in righteousness. Satan's Eden is established in sin because Satan is sin. So Satan is not just a sinner, but Satan is sin. So whatever then that runs through Satan will actually become a perversion and he will take a good thing. So it's like you take whatever it is that runs through Satan and by the time it comes through him, it will be contaminated and perverted away from its original creation by which God designed it to be because Satan is sin. So everything that runs through him, once it comes through him and comes out, on the other side, what is it? Contaminated by sin. Because you see his handprints, as it were, all over it. Notice he said, Because Satan is sin, God is righteousness. So if God is righteousness and Satan is the opposite of that, then God is faith. What is Satan? Unbelief. God is true. What is Satan? A liar. What if God is righteousness and Satan is sin? And he said, God's kingdom is established in righteousness and peace and life and satan's kingdom of course is established in sin and religious sin so because he is sin then he can take music and run it through him and what happens to that music it becomes perverted now let gospel singers, so-called, run their music into a new version in order to, to reach the young people. And what do you do? It comes out on the other side of Satan. And it's no more than just a little revved up rock and roll. It's just got gospel lyrics to it about the cross and this and that and the other. But it's still that bang your head against the wall type of beat. Praise the Lord. And it's the same way with money. It's the same way with position. It's the same way with beauty. It's the same way with re- religion now take the holy bible and run the holy bible through satan now remember the prophet says it is religious sin so it's not just drinking smoking you'll never find the devil drinking the devil don't drink the devil is one of the most sanctified beings you'll ever run into he ain't never chewed he don't smoke he don't dip snuff oh no he don't do none of that stuff but it is religious sin satan is not the type of a being that he's transformed many people to be So you take the Holy Bible and run it through Satan and what do you do when you come out on the other side? You take one God and run that one God through Satan's idea and you come out on the other side with either two or three. You take grace and run that grace, let Satan pull that grace through this perverted being that he is, and when he comes out on the other side, you know what you'll have? Disgrace. Well, you take the message of the hour, now y'all gonna get quiet on me, you run the message of the hour and Satan runs that message through him, and then what do you have when you come out on the other side? You have all these doctrines like a return ministry, that Brother Brown's gonna have a private resurrection, and that the prophet was infallible, that's a false doctrine out of hell. Brother Bram never taught that, the Bible never taught it, but where does it come from? You run the message close to the devil, come out on the other side, and this is where you get all this error amen that's exactly right because Satan what did he take he took a perfect beauty that God gave him and out of this soul from where this choice was made he twisted that beauty and allowed that beauty to become a perversion he also took his brightness and his wisdom and his great gifts that God gave him and from out of his own heart then he birthed this perversion away from the truth of what God intended for it to be so then Satan has the ability of taking everything that God does and perverting it and turning it around I cannot create he cannot make one thing originally on his own but he has power in the realm of perversion so he perverts watch the way brother man says this I do not believe that Satan is a creator I believe that Satan is a perverter not a creator because God is the only one who can create And in the beginning when he become a co-partner to God, notice this, co-partner to God, the son of the morning and so forth, when he walked up and down a fiery brimstone, that's when Satan perverted good to evil. You know, pervert to do anything. Married life is of God. The Bible said married life is of God, and the bed is undefiled. But prostitution and illegal, that's perverted. So, what does Satan do? Satan takes a desire for thirst. He takes a desire, the long inside of the human soul. Carol I was talking about it yesterday, I think we were and eating lunch, and I was telling what I'd read about Bibles being oh my the sale of Bibles online and in places where you can still get them. Uh, it's so it's exploded in the last little bit i told her i said you realize that very thing in people's soul will condemn them at the day of judgment because it shows when they get into the time of calamity something deep inside of them what did they do brother they're they going to reach toward god i read just last week where a survey that more people have started praying in the last month than has been known for many many years in america even people that do pray have prayed more probably some people in our church have been praying and the Lord's thinking wow it's been a long time since I heard from you that pandemic's really stirring you all up Well, I say it's a shame if it's happening, but if it is, so be it, Lord. But you know what? After the thing changes, and a lot of them revert right back to their lifestyle, but it shows there's something deep down in man when he gets in trouble. Who does he call that? Oh, God, oh, God, what happens? A plane crashing, you hear it over and over again. When them pilots know they're going down, some of the last words they say, Oh, God, be merciful. Oh God, why? It shows there's something down inside of their soul that reaches out to God in the time of trouble. But when they think they've got life, what does Satan do? He tries to smother that longing inside of them and get them to satisfy it with something else. Well, praise the Lord. Notice this again, Brother Branham says this, and it's very strange to think that how all the things that the devil has, he stole the copyright From God to make it. Satan cannot create. Satan is no creator. He's a perverter of something that God created. So Satan perverts creation. Now look at what type of being now that we're dealing with. So he understands about germs. And he understands about cells. He cannot give life. But demons from the fourth dimension can be able to move into cells of this animal and that animal and be able to cause this to mix with that because Satan cannot create a Wuhan virus. He cannot create the Spanish Flu. But he can be able to study and understand life and mix this one with that one and then what does it do? Cause it to spread over the entire world. But let me just say to the Wuhan virus, which they may call it that, but we know really who it is. It ain't from Wuhan, it's from hell. Amen. And I speak to that devil tonight just to let him know, we know who you are. We know where you come from and we know where you're going back to and you are a perverter and you may seek to kill and destroy, but our God is a healer and our God is a deliverer. Amen. Notice this again now. The prophet says it this way. Satan is the perverter of creation. A lie is only the truth mistold. And adultery is the right act misconstrued. And that's exactly what Satan is. Satan cannot create. He can only pervert what has been Created. So Satan never creates H1N1. He cannot create the Spanish flu. He cannot be able to create life. He is not life giver. He is life taker. Notice again in God this evil age. This modern knowledge loving age could have no better leader than the one they've got. But aren't you glad tonight he's not our leader? praise God. Satan a perverter of the word of God. Like he started off in the Garden of Eden but a religious person. Now this is something that, that the world does not understand about the devil. He is so religious. And when you run into somebody that's possessed with a religious devil, it ain't no wonder the prophet said they're seven times worse than any other devil. I've dealt with many of them. I've cast out many devils. I say that by the grace of God in my ministry. What the worst ones you'll get a hold of is somebody that's so religious they know more about it than what you do and yet according to God you're called to shepherd them but they want to tell you how you ought to shepherd them Well, that's a religious devil. And you have a hard time dealing with it because they think they know so much about it. And that's what Satan done. He felt he knew so much more about the program of the world and the cosmos and the world order than what the creator did himself. So he wanted to take things into his own hands and make it a better world to live in. And the prophet said, I think he's made it a better world to sin in, not a better world to live in. Notice he said, Satan, a perverter of the word of God, like he started off in the Garden of Eden, but a religious person relying on his own understanding. Oh my. Satan's evil. Now that's what Satan does. He perverts the nations. He perverts the church. He perverts the people. He is a deceiver, a perverter of the original truth. So Satan is the original perverter. He perverts church. He perverts religion. He perverts germs and causes them to mix together and what is life? Well my, we we began in our mother's womb as a little bitty tiny germ as a cell coming from our father and what does Satan do? He broke into that understanding of the divine laboratory of God and found out a long time ago if you can get this germ to that one to that one you're able to mix them up and cause this disease and he's only fooling in God's laboratory but his days are numbered. Hallelujah. Now, what's this? You know, whenever we look at 1 John, John was, oh my, the apostle of love, and he had such an understanding about love, but he had such an understanding about the will of God, knowing that they, that they synchronized together. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John says it this way, Love not the world, and that word there, of course, is cosmos, which is the world order, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Him. Now, are we talking about the globe of the earth? Are we talking about, when we say, if a man loves the things of the world, are we talking about lakes and rivers and streams and creeks and, and animals? No. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the order that this religious person set into the world after he took it over. Now, Satan is the author of worldliness. And I hate to say it, but a lot of message folks, their spectrum and understanding of where Worldliness is so narrow because a lot of them, you hear them talking and I've learned a lot by people just by listening to them and you're going to listen to people. Well, I'll tell you, I've noticed worldliness in our church. I've notice, noticed this person here is worldly and this one's worldly and say, well, what do you mean? Well, have you noticed the link to her dress? Well, have you noticed her hair? Have you noticed? And this is what so many message people identify as the very, very word of worldliness. And short dresses is only one aspect of worldliness. Skin-tight clothes is only one aspect of worldliness. But a know-it-all attitude is just as worldly as a bob-haired woman. Well, praise the Lord. Why? Because that was what? There wasn't short dresses up in heaven that caused the angels to fall. It wasn't the angels running around with cigars in between their fingers and a fifth of whiskey. It was a know-it-all attitude that was projected over in the north of heaven. So if you want to really trace it back, it was arrogance and pride that preceded a bob-haired woman that caused the fall in the beginning. But yet, I think as the people of God, we need to understand that worldliness is more than just. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. I heard some of our people go to a ball game. Lord, have mercy. What in the world's the matter with them bunch of infidels? They're so worldly. Dear God, have mercy. And what about your attitude? Thank you, Jesus. Well, it's getting hot in here, and I know it ain't the number of people that's in your rain enough here to heat it up. But notice, now John wants to set this straight, because remember, this is the man to whom the insight is given, unlike Matthew, unlike Mark, unlike Luke, that he, he describes about the very divinity of God, and he's able to correlate the divinity of God with the humanity of God, which is going to be carried over into the New Testament church. So John wants to preach a gospel of separation. But the gospel of separation was not from the good things, very few there are left, that are left in this world, but the things that are contaminated by the cosmos or the king of this worldly order. Amen. So the love of God, John says, love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the love of God and the love of the world, the cosmos order, are not compatible. If you give your allegiance and your heart and your soul to the love of the world, then the love of God cannot dwell in you. It's just quite plain and simple. And he said, if you don't have the love of God, of course, you don't have no redemption you don't have no peace no reconciliation james dealt with the same law worded it a little bit different james 4 4 ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world again cosmos is enmity with god whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god so you mean, if some of you brothers and some of you sisters, you you know people that you work with, and Brother Wayne, you you no doubt work with people in the sheriff's department, and Brother Larry dealing with the mortgages, and you other brothers and sisters, and, and you they're friends, and you like them, and you have an acquaintance with them. You mean to have a friend like that means you don't have the Holy Ghost? That you are an enemy against God? No, it means the Lord Jesus was identified by who? They called him a friend of publicans and sinners. So that tells me a lot that he hung around people that really needed him. And the world looked at it and absolutely hated it. Now when you look at it, their sins were visible. I mean, a woman called the act of adultery, that was pretty visible. The worldly people, prostitutes and all them, it was pretty visible. But you never find Jesus ever personally indicting those type of people or rebuking them. But he was constantly rebuking the worldly Pharisees. But they did not look worldly because they had all the garments and everything looked perfect. Oh my, they were the very epitome of a holiness message person. They were so holy, but they also had that attitude which was the original attitude of the devil. Amen. Amen, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. Woo, praise the Lord. Now, notice this. So James calls the men adulterers and the women adulteresses. Now he's writing to the church. Not literally, but in a figurative, metaphorical sense. Now whenever James would have written this to the first century people, they knew exactly what he was alluding to because an adulterer was a married man which was giving his heart affections to another woman other than his wife and an adulteress would have been a married woman, a fornicator of course was a single woman, but an adulteress was a married woman which was giving her intimate feelings her emotions, her body whatever she was to another man other than her husband and James said when you love the world and you're giving your very soul, your very heart to whatever it is out here in the world, then you are either a man, an adulterer or you are a woman, you are unadulterous my it must have been astounding for them whenever they got this from James because already the brethren felt the need to be able to help the saints to identify what is the world because remember they were now dealing with not only Jews but Gentiles and the Jews had so many thou shalt and thou shalt not and thou shalt and thou shalt not and Paul comes through and he just pretty much eradicated all of that stuff so they're saying what's right and what's wrong we don't know what to do anymore we, we don't know what's right and what's wrong but they want them to focus on really what the seat of what right and wrong is. Right and wrong is really very simple. Right comes from one person, that is God. Wrong comes from the other person, and that is the devil now we know that God will always speak right and never speak wrong but Satan can speak both right and wrong and he will funnel the right through the wrong in order to hybridize the right and it makes the right poison so in time that wart that you take out of him will poison your spiritual system and you will die now he does not always mix the right with the wrong and say Have 95% wrong and then 5% right, oh it's so weak no he don't take that much, he can 50 50, 60, 40, 75, 25. All it takes is one little bit, 11, mixed in that with that right, and he contaminates the whole lump. And Satan knew this. So he said, Don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Which is basically the same thing that John said. So the writing, James had written around 60 AD, uh, the book of John, you're 3rd John, whenever it was in 1st John, rather around 89 to 90, something like that. So they're already dealing with things that are starting to creep in the church because the white horse rider has already started riding. So he said there is a place that you can be like Jesus was because Jesus was identified and he loved all humanity and yet he was not only identified with those that were good but he said I've not come to call the good but I've come to call sinners. So he would go among the sinners but he was never persuaded to do their wrongdoing. Praise the Lord. A lot of folks say, well, I'm going out to win so-and-so. I'm going to go out to the bar, and I'm going to witness you're on the devil's ground when you do that. Well, I'm going over here, and I'm going over there. The Holy Ghost will never lead you to the wrong ground to witness for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost will never lead you to sin in order that you might win others. Oh, no, that's antagonist. That, that thing lived in the first church age. That's what they believed you had to do. They believed you had to go out and sin in order to bring sinners in. No, that's contrary to the Word of God but there was a big question among them as far as what is the world how much do we do what do we don't do we find the same thing today folks trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong but the truth is here I believe that don't you but So the scripture said, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy with God. So you cannot serve God and the world at the same time. You've got to love one and hate the other. And whenever you give your love to one, your allegiance, then it will automatically put you into that spot to where you cannot give full allegiance to both. It's totally impossible. So the Lord Jesus knew this when he came and he displayed that this is what kenosis is. In order to empty himself out and take. Take in him the divine nature of God. Now, remember, he was a man, totally, completely man as far as in his body, but in the spirit, completely God. And now listen to this carefully. Worldliness is not so much a matter of activity as it is a lot of times a matter of attitude now a person can be to the spot to where they stay away from questionable places well I don't go here I wouldn't go to that Disney World I'll tell you what I wouldn't go down there to that old stinking Dollywood it's of the devil I wouldn't go here and I wouldn't go there but you realize that it's not just all the time a, a Christian keeping away from a position or a certain place but it is the attitude in dealing with it like let me show you something brother Bear, tells us what was in 1954 he said i found this selfish spirit raising up in me the other day now listen he said i found this selfish spirit raising up in me the other day and saying i ought to go over and tell that person this i ought to tell that person that they're wrong by doing this and that Now i want you to notice now look at worldliness which one would you identify as worldliness so Brother Branham found himself in that spot. That's one thing I love about this man, that he was always so honest. Unlike a lot of us, keep all of our shortcomings here. And act like we ain't got no problems. The only difference between us and you is you're a liar and we're telling the truth. That's right. So Brother Branham said he found this spirit in him. Now what was this spirit? It was worldly. Well, Hallelujah. Now brother Branham was not drinking, brother Branham was not running around, brother Branham was not even doing the same things that he was criticizing these people for, but it was another attribute of the devil. Well, hallelujah. It was another aspect of worldliness that we don't even classify as worldly. Anything you have to repent of is worldliness. How many of us have to repent? Really? Yo, your brother Smoke Y'all dream? What, what dope do you brothers use? What, what, what dope do you saints use? What, what cigarettes? What brand of cigarettes you smoke? What brand of tobacco do you chew? And you mean you still repent and ask God to forgive you? Well, there's only righteousness and perversion. What are you repenting of? Worldliness. Sometimes it's an attitude. Somebody got on you, boy, it really made you mad. And they really, really pushed your buttons. And to be honest with you, you didn't know you had that many buttons to push. But by the time they got done, you realized you needed more help than what you thought you did. Now what was that that you felt raising up in your flesh? It was worldliness. Well, thank you, Jesus. Now, it's not bobbed hair. It's not painted face. It's not a short tail dress. It's not some of you brothers going around with gold necklaces hanging around, running around, showing you big, fat, ugly, hairy looking legs looking like a gorilla with short britches on. But instead of that, it was an attitude. And you thought, boy, I'll tell you one thing. I wish I could, I'd give them a piece of my worldliness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, you see, it's something that a lot of times we do not identify as being worldly. But remember, as we're fixing to go into the, this, this holy week here, as we call it, and it began, of course, with the Lord Jesus riding the donkey in, and through this entire week, great events, one after another, taking place until the consummation will come of it on Sunday morning at the dawn of the first day of the week. But yet, all of this is the Lord Jesus bringing to us a new life that would Separate our soul from being born with these worldly desires. But yet leaving our body or our mortality still unconverted in a world that we will battle every day of our life. Now, what's this, to the extent that a Christian may love the worldly system. Now, they don't really like smoking and drinking, but they like the monetary system. Or there's different systems of the world that they would like. So, worldliness not only uh, reflects your, your response to the love of God, but it also affects how you react to the will of God. Now, think of it in this way, less side smoking, less side drinking, Bob her, television, movies, uh, all that sort of thing. And let's just think about worldliness and bringing it on down in a little closer way, in the more supernatural way that Satan causes many people to stumble over. And that is that it affects the love of God in your heart, which brings about your desire to fulfill the word of God. So worldliness is absolutely anything in our lives that would hinder us from loving God the way we ought to love him. And whenever our love is hampered and set back, then we have struggles in keeping the will of God now the reason that people struggle with doing the will of God well the Bible says a woman can't cut her I don't understand that why can't I do that my hair does better my but more healthy to trim off the dead ends and where would you find that out in the Bible well you know it's all right just to put a little bit of black around your eyes you know old Barnes need a new coat of paint I agree with him Barnes what's that got to do with your face but well, well, you know. But that don't matter. Why do they struggle to do that? Because really, there's something wrong with their love life. So if they love God right, they do not find the will of God so hard in being able to keep. But if you love him in the proper way, then his love is so overwhelming, it is able to calm down and be able to nurture that something inside of us to help us obey the will of God, even when the will of God is difficult. But for those who try to obey the will of God and the do's and don'ts of God without loving God the right way, they complain, they grumble, they growl, they fuss I don't understand it, I don't understand it, I don't understand it, they've got a problem in their love life Now if they love God right then the love of God in their heart will soothe and smooth out and calm some of the sticky difficult places in their life about doing the will of God. So anything in your life and my life that would hinder us from our love and whenever we lose the joy of the Lord. Now no matter whether it's as I said it can be hair it can be some type of habit or it can be something else. Whatever it is in your life or my life that hinder us from the love of God is worldliness. Oh Jesus. Somehow or another I thought y'all would really enjoy this. 1 <laughs> John chapter 5 verse 3 For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. So when you hear people complain, why do we, why can't we do that? How come we, why, I don't understand. Why do we not? They've got a problem with the love of God. Because according to the scripture, The commandments of God. Now this is to someone who has experienced this divine love in their soul and actually received the resurrection inside their soul and they have received a personal resurrection themselves and that seed which was laying there oh my all those years laying there experienced it and the baptism of the Holy Ghost quickened that seed and imparted unto them the love of the divine nature and as long as they keep that fellowship of God reciprocating communion with God it, it allocates to them the strength that they need to complete the will of God the love of God is not the will of God the love of God is not the commandments of God But the love of God is what endows us with the divine ability and helps us. Oh, I just struggle. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. The people who are saying that have problems loving God the right way. But if you fall in love with him in the right way, no matter what he asks you to do, no matter what he asks you for, you love him so much you're willing to do it. And you know if he wants to take this from you, he's going to give you that and it's going to be better for you than that was. I've never I got to one thing for me that he did not give me one thing or multiple things in his place and come to find out I was better off with it or them even though it might have been smaller and scrunched down than I was with the other oh hallelujah God knew he was not going to have Abraham to take Isaac's life God knew that but Abraham didn't know it God knew he was not going to have him to pull that knife back and remove that boy's life no but he wanted Abraham to come right up to the brink Within a couple of seconds away. Amen. That's what God wants out of us. He wants us so in love with him. That we quit saying. Well why? Well how come? Well why? I don't understand. God explained this to me. God owes us no explanation. God wants us to love him so much. We just say yes Lord. Whatever you say Lord. That's what I want. That's what I'll do. God said now you're getting ready for the rapture. Now you're getting ready. Because you love me so much. You'll find those struggles of my will. They'll no longer be there. You won't find you fighting and fighting and tugging and pulling. You'll find a release in your soul. Oh, hallelujah. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. So anything in a Christian's life that causes him to lose his joy of serving the Lord and his joy of the compassionate love that he feels for the Lord Jesus is worldly. Brother Bam said one of the greatest sins of the church in this day is worldliness. And every time I hear people say that, then they go off and they say, look at the women's dresses, look at this and look at that. And that's where their spectrum is. Of And them standing there with the judgmental spirit on them that will take them to hell if they don't get delivered of it. Why? Because we've got world in this put in this little box. And then we can stand with this know-it-all attitude. Boy, glory to God. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. We better get our hearts right with God. We better realize that we are nobody. We are nothing outside of God's grace. Can I go on? Notice again, John says, let me read the scripture again, 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, all that is in the world, is summed up now in three things, and yet it covers over every temptation that there is in the world, ever has been or ever will be. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, God has given man desires or thirsts, as Brother Branham called them. And many of these desires are good. Now, look at hunger. It is a desire in our body. If we don't eat ever so often, every 20 minutes or so, for a lot of us. If we, don't, if we don't eat so often, you know, our belly goes to growling and we go to getting real hungry feeling. Look at hunger and thirst and friendship and companionship. Now let me say something else and hope I won't scare you to death. But even sex desire. Oh Lord, everybody here passed out. There is nothing wrong about those things, nothing wrong with eating, drinking water, drinking juice, whatever it is you drink, that's not alcoholic of course, or even begetting children. But when the flesh nature controls these desires then it becomes worldly now to be able to have a, a, a desire to eat and to want to eat and take care of our body nothing wrong with that but the opposite of that or the sin of that would be gluttony praise the Lord testing one two three <laughs> So what does Satan do? Then Satan does not make a new thirst, a new crave called gluttony. He only wants to make us exceed or excel beyond what really we should have and what would be good for us. Oh my goodness. Maybe I should go in the office and finish the rest of this. Now, what is it? Now, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you need to lose 15 pounds. Your your, your body mass, your this and that or the other, your blood pressure. Your, of course, we don't like to hear the doctor say that. Amen, Jesus. I'm in you, Lord. <laughs> We don't like hearing things Out the doctor said, boy, you're looking great. You're doing good and you know in reality you did lose 15 or 20 pounds. And yet we would rather hear that or just rather him not say nothing about it and just say, well, what did the doctor say? He didn't say one thing. Hallelujah praise God I'm doing good let's stop and get three Big Macs one two and a couple three ice creams and some let's upsize it let's get let's the not get no 32 ounce drink let's get 186 ounce my goodness the doctor said I'm doing good that's what we want to hear and the many times that's what we want to hear when we go to church oh my goodness but yet what does Satan do now Satan does not as I said have to create some type of something inside of us he can't do it anyway that be able to make us become gluttonous so what does he do he just Many People are nervous eaters. Whenever they get all nervous and all tore up and, and they just eat, 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 they're not even really hungry. And Satan has learned that if he can get people to overeat or eat the wrong things, oh Jesus, then what will it do? It will harm their own body. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And what is he using? A natural desire for food. Now you know the truth of it is we got one of her sisters here at our church and a couple of years ago she give her little girl some cereal for breakfast one morning and she was telling the little girl, honey, you know this is not good and this is not good. And this glucamate polysorbate and all of this and that and the other. And she said, mama it sure does taste good. So you realize that uh, many of the things, even the natural things they do taste good. I want you to think right now about a slathering hot donut. Just come right out from that oven and that stuff running oh, oh, oh my goodness I just lost everybody might as well shut down the service right now and you say why does that taste so good and yet some of the stuff that's so good for you you ever eat some of them good foods that's supposed to be so good for you and it tastes like a little bit of leaf with a little bit of tree bark and a little bit of grass and you say a hog wouldn't eat this stuff a <laughs> A pig would not eat this stuff And yet it's so good for you You say, really? How can this be good for you? But we know that's exactly what Satan has done And a lot of the stuff that tastes so good And so wonderful Is horrible for us naturally and it's the same way when it comes to our spiritual diet and the Word. My folks want hot, warm donuts with that glaze just oozing down on top of it. And if that wasn't enough calories to kill you, then they ordered a little strawberries on the side with a little bit of whoop cream right on the top of it. My goodness. And a big old Diet Coke right on the side. Oh, hallelujah. And they think that Diet Coke is going to excite all of them calories. And what does Satan do? Uses a natural appetite that God gave us. Is that right, brothers? Now, hunger is not evil, but gluttony is sinful. Thirst is not evil, but drunkenness is a sin. Sleep is not evil. Well, I'll tell you, the older you get, the more you realize how wonderful it is. Sleep is a gift from God, but laziness and slothfulness is shameful. Sex is God's precious gift to humanity. Lord God, even the preacher didn't say this. <laughs> All right, you're listening. Okay, buddy. <laughs> but what does Satan do? Some of the most horrific sins that have been done through time from the Garden of Eden on have been sex-related so it tends to make especially Christians feel like that sex and anything to do with it is of the devil it's ungodly that is false God gave it and God could have absolutely took that out of his children when he gave them the baptism of the Holy Ghost but he never done it he left it right there to be able to propagate children bringing children into the earth is a natural thing but yet how many Christians lose their victory with God out of sex related sins they may not have an affair with another woman or another man but they'll go on some website somewhere and look at something that they shouldn't look at or fascinate about something they all preach Lord and to get involved in something in their mind and does Satan have to make a desire in them why of course not that desire is in them already and he wants to take your natural sex desire and run it through himself and pervert it and pull it out on the other side and if he he can't talk you into committing literal adultery. He'll cause you to commit it with your eyes to where you look on a woman to lust at your her. Oh, hallelujah. But I believe God's got some sons and daughters of God in the last days, and they are the opposite of the devil. They are not gonna run God's things through sin. They're gonna run them through a thinking man's filter, and they're gonna shut their eyes and shut their heart and shut everything about them to the the devil's lies and the things of the world and say fill me Lord Jesus with your goodness hallelujah but what does Satan do Satan makes things to offer to our natural normal appetite praise the Lord and tips us to satisfy that natural normal appetite In a forbidden way. What did he do to Eve? He offered her a forbidden way. She had a curiosity. She had a desire to understand. But instead of going to her husband. That was God's provided way for her. He run that natural desire of Eve through Satan. Come out on the other side through the serpent. And cause her to commit adultery. Now I want you to think everyone that's here in the visible and those that are streaming tonight, every time, whether it is fear, whether it is anxiety, and many of you never smoke, you're way past that. And you think because you are, you're totally free from the world. When you fear, you are anointed with worldliness. The prophet said fear is the worst thing the devil can put upon you. It's worse than a mini-dress sisters, it's worse than a bob haircut. Fear. Fear, there's only two elements, faith and fear, and fear is of the devil. It is worldliness, and we need to be purged from it, especially in the time we're living right now. Oh, my. Notice, so in today's world, by all the types of allurements that appeal to what? Our natural appetites. So what do they do? Satan has geared them all right toward our natural appetites as human beings. Oh my goodness. And when we move over into the lower nature of the flesh, and we go to following that, when the Christian goes to yielding to that, is when they find themselves in such trouble. And then what do they do? It becomes a chore to pray. It becomes a difficulty to read the Bible. It becomes a chore to listen to a tape or to come to the house of God. It's just so much easier to go out and do this and this and this. It's just so much easier. Oh, I, I need some uh, I need some happiness, and I, I need this and that and the other. You know, l- 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 let's go here and there and find some type of enjoyment. What is it? It's a desire in us. We're looking for comfort. We're looking for peace. We're looking for a satisfaction. And Satan knows that. Everything that God says about this unconverted flesh is absolutely negative. Notice this, in the flesh... There is no good thing, Romans seven eighteen. The flesh profits nothing, John six sixty three. A Christian is to put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians three three. Make no provision for the flesh. Romans thirteen fourteen. A person who lives for the flesh is living a negative life. Now John summarizes and puts it under three things and it's these three aspects that he fell in the garden of Eden. It's these three aspects that the Lord Jesus overcome when he come here as a man. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You mean the pride of life is worldliness? So some folks find out that somebody bought a certain type of vehicle and they paid X amount of dollars for it, they've got to have one a little bit better. You know, that thing gets among religious folks. It's sad to say, but in the fifties and the sixties and the days of the big tent revivals, whichever guy would get the largest tent, the other guys, some of them even sent their tent boys by night and they would measure the size of their tent in order one larger so they could say they had the world's largest gospel tent. But how much different it was for Elijah. When Elijah put up a tent, a little old ragged thing, a little old small thing, and actually some guys stole it from him by accusations. He just let them have it, just let them take it. He could have had one that had been larger than anybody in the world, but he was the opposite of the rest of them guys. Why? He had the spirit of Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what we want. That's right. That's exactly what we want. Now, notice this, that John, as he focuses on this and he says, the first sin is the lust of the flesh or the desires of the things that the flesh wants. And he said, the lust of the eyes. Now, this is the second device or trap that Satan will try to use, and he called it the lust of the eyes. And I think sometimes that we forget that the eyes actually have an appetite. Now, listen to this. The eyes actually have an appetite. Have you ever said or heard people say, feast your eyes on this? Wonder why we would say that. Feast your eyes on this. Because there's a natural understanding among us that our eyes feast on things. Lord, if it gets any quieter, you're going to send the angels to say amen. (laughs) Oh, my. Feast your eyes on this. So the lust of the eyes appeals to the lower appetites of the unregenerate nature That is in what is called the flesh. Now remember, Paul, Peter, James, when they use this in the New Testament, in the references to the flesh, they're not necessarily talking about the body. But it's the unconverted nature. The Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. So it is not just the body itself, because as I preached to you before, the body itself can be very, very neutral. Your same body that can bless somebody out can come to the house of God in 30 minutes and go worship in Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now if your body was totally negative, then you could never raise your hands and worship the Lord. You can never use your mouth or your ears. But your body is more neutral than what you realize. But what we're calling the flesh or the nature of the flesh is that unconverted part that's still left inside of every one of us. And this is the part that if the lust of the flesh, which is the unregenerate nature, goes inside of this and run in on the control tower and goes to pulling in that direction, then we'll go to doing things that cater to the flesh. Same with the eyes, that the eyes have an appetite and we go to looking and we go to say, well, I want more of this and bigger that and more of that. And then when we go to letting the appetite in the eyes run in on the flesh, then the appetite Appetite run in on the old nature, it will make it want to please what the old nature wants. So tempting us to indulge and in something that might be wrong. You see, but whenever we let the Spirit of God inside of us be able to capture that and bring our hearing, our talking, our looking, everything that we are under the control of the Holy Ghost, then it becomes a victory for the grace of God every day of our life. If he would have converted our eyes, converted our ears, converted our mouth, and all of that when we first got saved, it'd been one great victory at the beginning, and the rest of the days would just breeze right on through this life never bothered us again. But instead he converts the soul, brings the breath of life inside of that, and then he leaves the soul inside of this hybridized body and leaves these appetites there in the flesh now. And then it causes that struggle every day, which will be a greater victory, the outcome will be a greater victory than if it had saved your flesh and you first got saved. Oh, praise God. Now remember, John is writing to the Greeks and the Romans and they lived for entertainment and activities. Oh my. And it excited their eyes. This is why, even to this very day, that they're still excavating. Colosseums, And excavating and finding many, many great theaters, amphitheaters, that were built by the Romans whenever we were in Israel uh, a couple years ago. And you find one after another after another made out of solid stone that were cut right into the mountain itself. And they still use some of them to this very day. And perfect ideal acoustics. In the way that they designed them. In Caesarea to this very day. But they built the one there. They still use it for, for all types of different things. So they got into the games. And they got into all types of things. And it was things that satisfied the eyes. It excited them. And it gave them a passion. And raised something in them. And it satisfied something about the eyes. Because it was an appealing thing to the eyes. Is it wrong to look on a beautiful lake or a beautiful mountain or the spring grass? I love springtime. Oh, my, all the different colors of green. Is it wrong to look at that and say, oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. No. But what does it do? We are giving our eyes a feast. As we look at the buds and we look at the red buds and we see all the different colors that are coming out and it connects us because our eyes are being controlled by the soul, it connects us to another world. But other people take the exact same thing, the eye being the gate to the soul. Then they connect their eyes to enlightenment, to enchantments, to entertainment about this and that and the other and they become so engrossed and what their eyes see. Oh, my. You see, times have not changed much. The Romans didn't have televisions. They didn't have smartphones. We do today, so we got movies, televisions, smartphones. We're more attuned to our eyes now than our mothers and fathers were. Now, our mothers and fathers and our grandmothers and grandfathers, they was in the age of radio. What was it? The ear. But they would sit there and gather around that radio, but it was not so much an enticement or an entertainment for their eyes. Notice where Satan has moved this life' phase before going into tribulation, in the eyes wonder why cause God moved the body of the bride where? into the eyes of Malachi 4 and what did it do? it moved us now thank God for the tongues of Pentecost thank God for all that but yeah you can't see with your tongue and it's evident those of us that shouted and jumped and all that in Pentecost, it's evident we didn't see it. That's why we'd love like to kill ourselves sometimes because we wouldn't to keep it our eyes open where we was going. So we was all caught up in the tongue and in the jabber. And I'm not making fun of the real ev- the real Holy Ghost. I believe in the real Holy Ghost as it speaks, but it was not the evidence. But what did God do? God moved that final stage then right up into the eyes. This is why our message is so powerful and so great. When men of God get under the anointing the extension of that anointing of Malachi 4 and bring the word of God so real it's like you're sitting there when you're hearing Bartimaeus preach it's like you're sitting there seeing it lived out Why? It is the animation of the Spirit of God that is making that Bible story which we have heard and read for years and years because we're in that sight age under Malachi 4. It has brought us right up to the seeing time. And Satan said, that's a wonderful idea. I'll do the same thing. You see, Achan, in the book of Joshua chapter 7, saw a wedge of gold and a Babylonian garment. He didn't smell it. He didn't touch it first, but he saw it. And he caused sin to enter into the whole program of God. 200 shekels of silver. And he said, I coveted them. So the lust of the eyes led him into sin. The eyes... Let me read this and we'll close. Are like other senses, but the eyes are a gateway into the mind. Now, what's this? Brother Raymond says, the eye is a gate to the soul. Five senses and the eye almost governs the others. You look at it. The Catholic Church no that a long time ago when they put up statues and so forth. The psychology of seeing the sight. Television, out out of the way it is now, and uncensored programs, all of this vulgarity and thing. Let a little boy, the gate is the eye to the soul. The eye is the gate to the soul, rather. Let him go in and let these little girls go into one of these movies or something or another and see how these here women out in Hollywood with eight or ten husbands making love to some man, that little girl will practice the same thing the next day. Let some fantastic nonsense come out of there with some kind of old scandal looking skirts on or something other like that. And watch the American women go to wearing the same thing. That's right. See, you catch each other what you feed on. So then the eye catches it. Now, people are looking for states of compromise. They'll find the sister in the church with the highest dress. And they'll say, well, look at her. She wore hers above her knee. I don't care if every woman in here wears it above their knee. It's contrary to God's word. But if you're looking and you're letting the eye be the gate to the soul, then you'll find that compromising individual that say, oh, yeah, look at them. Now, they're a deacon's daughter. Or this is so-and-so. This is so-and-so. Well, if they do it, I can do it too. Well, if that's what you want to be led by, go ahead. But I want to be led by my soul, which will always lead me to the word of God. Let's stand, brothers. God bless you. Praise the Lord Jesus. Let me give you a little preview of what we'll look at next time, Lord willing. John goes on to say, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but is of the world. I want you to listen to this meaning of this word, pride. Boasting, empty, braggart talk, insolent, and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human rights. Isn't it amazing? Why don't we hear that preached on, Brother Darrell? Being worldly. Pride. So when you hear a person bragging how great preacher they are or what a great songwriter they are What a great singer they are! Just remember, that is worldliness. Praise God! If you want to let people know how much time, how many times you pray a day, how much you know about the Bible, you understand what that is? That's not kenosis. That's the pride of life. As I've said before, many of our experiences, God don't even want us sharing them with people. It's between a husband and his wife. But so many, God will do something for them, and they can't wait to tell this one, to tell that one, to tell the other one. We need to learn to be careful and say, God, is this something to share, or is this something just for me and you? Because what can we do? Brother Rem said, you sisters, you go to see and your hair grow out, and let it become long, and you look at it before long, and you say, wow, that is so pretty. Then something that was a for reproach initially. Satan turns it around. Think of most of the affairs that happen in the message. Do they happen with our boys and our girls or our men and our women, with worldly men and women? They do sometimes. But most of the ones I know happen in between message people inside of message churches. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Our talk should not be how great we are. How wonderful we are. But how great he is. Praise God. As we go into the remaining portion of the week. Before this wonderful season. Of the Easter. Most of us of course. Facing Easter we never thought it would be this way. I was going to be at camp. And our kids was going to be at camp. And we are so looking forward to it. But. We know the Lord knew all this would happen. It took us by surprise. But as we face Easter, let's think about it. This was our Lord's last week of his human life on the earth. Great events were transpiring. Let us think as we prepare to assemble again, whether by your phone or in your car, wherever you are. As Brother Darrell comes to speak for us on Sunday. What is this great resurrection? What does it mean to you? Is it just one day a year? It's a holiday? It's more than a holiday. It's an everyday thing to the saints of God. Because of Easter, I have control over the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life. I am not a hopeless, bound sinner that is a weakling, that is bound by the appetites and desires of sin. That's not who I am. I am a conquering, overcoming Son of God. I'm not waiting to be an overcomer after a while. I am already living an overcoming life every day that I live on this earth. I want hell to know that I'm here. I want hell to know that a Son of God, another Son of God has lived a victorious life. I don't want a t-shirt. When I get there that day and say, I survived Laodicea, I'm looking for a crown. Amen. Not because I deserve it. He purchased it for me. That's right. I am going to be an overcomer then because I am an overcomer now. Amen. Let's bow our heads if you would. Lord Jesus, the more we hear about this, your enemy. Our enemy. The more it makes us realize we want nothing he has. We don't want our theology, our doctrine, our perception of you, our perception of reality, our perception of faith. We don't want nothing we've got pulled through him. It might be pure as it goes into that perverter. But once it pulls on the other side of him, he'll warp it. He'll twist it. We want our perception, our face, our reality, our walk, our understanding to come through a thinking man's filter. Praise God. Lord Jesus, minister to your saints. Father, we're in a trying time. Give us grace. Give us strength. Father God, we look to you in this hour of distress. We call upon your great name and we say, our God is as mighty in the time of a pandemic as he is when there's no flu going on. Our God is a mighty healer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Three millennia ago, on this night, the children of Israel were gathered in their homes. The lamb had been slain. The blood had been applied to the doorpost and the lintel. They could hear out on the streets screaming and crying. And as I saw that video clip of that rabbi today and he was going through how it was with his ancestors and I thought Here we are today, hallelujah, hid in Christ Jesus, in the family of God. And the name of the family is written over the door. Glory Glory to God. And the blood's been applied over the name of the family. And there we're safe and secure. Lord Jesus, we pray, be mindful of us. Lord God, help us through this time. Dear God, as one of the brothers posted today of a minister, Lord, that has this virus. And then his wife, being a missionary, Lord, and three or four of his children. Dear God, we pray for your mercy to them tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord God, help us, I pray. Lord, our cells and our body are not superhuman cells. They're just human cells. Lord God, but we claim your protection. But even if Satan would be allowed to break into ourselves, we still claim your healing. So we're a winner either way. No doubt you'll choose to keep some some of your children from it. But your choice might be to allow some of your children to go through it. To prove that you'll bring them out on the other side. Brother Daniel Gissendan and others that we've heard about, Lord, that's been diagnosed with it and come out on the other side of it. And we thank you for that, Father, because we know our God is greater than anything the devil can ever muster up. We claim your healing, your deliverance, your protection for your people, Father. We love you with all of our hearts. Thank you for the service tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. Service Sunday morning. Pray for Brother Darrell.
1: Would you appreciate the word of the Lord tonight. Amen. Let's just sing this song again. Falling in love with Jesus, amen, is the best thing I've ever done. we
2: We'll falling in love with Jesus, falling in love.
1: praying, be believing, be expecting the Lord to move Hallelujah. for us. Sunday morning at 11, Brother Daryl brings, uh, amen, at the Easter Easter message for us, amen. A little different Easter, as Brother Donnie's saying this year, but amen. Just we're thankful that we have a, a means to still be in church, not physically, but just spiritually, and that we get to come and just gather together and feast on God's Word, amen. Aren't you so thankful for, amen, what He's done for us tonight? Let's just sing that song, uh, Victory is Mine, Victory is Mine. Let's sing that tonight, amen, as you're uh, dismissed from the service this evening. Oh, victory
2: is mine, victory
1: is mine,
2: victory today is mine, mine, mine. Oh, I told Satan, get thee behind. Lord if you please oh our rose of shouting and praise and victory oh victory is mine oh victory